values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thank you so much for being here. Um, We talk about crime and punishment very often, about staffing and public safety, especially in policing, how difficult it is to retain good police officers in any situation. Yesterday was a mass exodus from officers from the cities like New York and Chicago headed to places like Florida and what was in all of that. But imagine um, beginning from scratch. Imagine getting a police station up and running, a police department up and running. Imagine expanding a police department at a time when a city is really exploding in growth. Joining us right now is the police chief from the town of Queen Creek, Randy Bryce. Uh, Chief, welcome to the show. Uh, Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about this daunting task in front of you. Uh, What is it exactly that's happening in Queen Creek? And can you give us a little bit of a timeline of what you're up against? Yeah, absolutely. As as a lot of people know, we just uh, started the police department, uh, officially launched back in January of last year. And uh, as as you can imagine, it was a very difficult task just to get up and running uh, through the pandemic and all those other issues that we saw nationally. And now the town, like you said, is just absolutely exploding as far as population. We continue to see massive growth, whether it's multi-family housing, single-family housing, and the businesses that are coming to Queen Creek, especially with the the uh, announcement of the LG plant. There's just a lot of great things happening here. So the police department needs to be ready and expand just as fast to meet those needs. And so we have put together a very aggressive plan, not only from a staffing perspective, but from a infrastructure perspective. So we, we have a great plan in place that's going to take us through the next 10 to 20 years, but really aggressively over the next five. Are you going to be able to keep up just with the growth part of it? Are you going to be able to keep up with growth because with growth comes crime? Do you believe you'll be able to keep up with that? Yeah, so there's the challenge. You know, one of the things that we started very beginning is that we wanted to make sure that we were very responsive to the community, had that great connection to really understand what's expected from the police department and uh, be responsive and transparent with all those things. So what we've been hearing from our community is that please, please make sure that your department is staffed and ready, trained and equipped in a way that will be able to respond to all the new threats, all the new emergencies coming up. But I just said there is a there's a real challenge in hiring police officers across the nation. We see these mass exodus uh, here locally. Uh, we're all competing for the same pool of applicants, so it has been a great challenge. And but we respond to that. Our our council has been very uh, supportive, and our plan for the next five years, to to be honest with you, is to nearly double the police departments. We were planning to hire somewhere in the range of 20 plus people every year for the next five years. Is it a unique uh, challenge not having the reputation? What I mean as an agency, because law enforcement is no different than any other industry, is that agencies have a reputation, good, bad, or indifferent, where people want to come to work there or they aren't necessarily excited about it. How do you recruit people into an agency that's brand new? So there's a couple of advantages and disadvantages. As you mentioned, we don't necessarily have that uh, institutional reputation that's out there to say, hey, we've been doing this for 20 years. Uh, and to be honest with you, I've, I've joked a little bit about this, is that uh, putting the police department in, together in the way that we did was really like flying a, a plane while we were building it. So it, there's some unique challenges. But where we have been very successful is that from the beginning, we started with, with that 
uh, mantra of really uh, focusing on community connection, not just a trope where, you know, hey, community policing, we hear that a lot across the nation, but really embedding that into the, the absolute culture of the organization. And we were really successful on the front end of bringing in some really fantastic staff. And now what we see is we continue to have that uh, kind of word of mouth. We have people that are come here that are telling their uh peers and friends that, hey, this is an amazing place to work. We're, we're supported like we've never seen before in the various regions that they've come from. So having all those great accolades locally here and all the support that we have from not just the council, but the community has really been my best selling point. But we're, you know, we're going to maintain the, our uh, pay rates to be very competitive. We have great incentives, in fact, best in the state. And so we're going to keep those things going. But really what, what's happening is that we have a supportive community that loves their cops, and that's what's making a huge difference. Queen Creek Police Chief Randy Bryce joins us. Um, so then it would, you know, in some places it, it's about changing a culture and other places it's about maintaining a culture. But you're really creating a culture here. How is it? Who are you recruiting into those leadership positions that are taking your vision of culture for law enforcement and implementing it? Yeah, so that's a great question. We, uh, from the very beginning, we tried to make sure that uh, the ha- we had the right people coming in, and that was part of the recruitment strategy, obviously, and we continue to do that as we proceed, is that it's really about making the right connections with the people that want to be here and serve the community. And, you know, our department really responds to calls that maybe other places don't, but we're, we're really talking about managing those early quality of life issues, those small problems, and really making that connection you know we've seen uh, just in our first year uh, a at least a 30 to almost 40 percent increase in calls for service because the community is now calling us in a way that uh, they're like well you know we never expected cops to come and when we call but now you guys are here so we built that but to get the right people in the leadership positions really was about making sure that they had that vision so you know very beginning we hired a lot of labels uh, which means these are officers that were already existing at other agencies in in the state and outside of the state, but that was really the focus when we looked at who the leadership was, and I have a great command team, a great uh, set of supervisors that have that vision and carry that on every single day on every single call, and I think that's why we've had the success we've had as a team has been an extraordinary part getting that uh, vision out to to everybody and making those connections. Moving forward, uh, what does the recruiting look like? Is there a balance between experienced laterals and new officers? And will that change as these department grows? Uh, yeah, so we were and from the very beginning. Actually, we did this when we the day one when we started was that uh, we wanted to make sure we stratified our, our staffing so that we didn't have the problem of in 10 years, everybody was retiring. So we put people in the academy uh, before we even launched uh, the, the police departments. And then we also hired people that were uh, kind of at various levels of experience. So one to five, five to 10, 10 to 15, and then some 20 plus. So as we recruit going forward, we continue to hire experienced people, trying to fill those gaps of where we need the experience. And also uh, every single academy that we've had available, uh, it's been twice a year lately, where I say lately, it's only been a year, but uh, we've been able to do three academies so far where we've, we've uh, every six to eight months, we've had somebody in the academy, two, three, four people. 
so we're trying to bring in brand new while also making sure that we have a good stratification of experience. Well, Chief, I appreciate the time. I'm excited at what's happening in the East Valley, and I wish you the best. And I hope as this department grows and your city grows, your town grows, that you'll come back on and kind of give us an update on how things are going. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me, and I appreciate all the, the time. And just to you know, say the last thing to say is that we have a great community. We have a great police department. I'm so proud to be their chief and uh, to be able to be at the head of this great endeavor. Thanks, Chief. Appreciate that. Chief Bryce from the town of Queen Creek. Um, and uh, exciting things happening in the East Valley. We talk about crime and punishment and growth and how you keep the lid on crime. And there's a lot happening out in the East Valley, especially in the town of Queen Creek. In a moment, 58% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, according to one survey that just came out. And 70% are feeling financially stressed. Are you one of those? We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. <laughs> Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. I'd climb any mountain. If you don't get it, you don't get it. <laughs> there it is. You just got it. Uh, thanks for being here this morning. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, the talk of the economy is something that's frequent here on the show and the idea of how do we continue to grow. I think for every person out there, at some point in your adult life, you realize uh, you've got a plan for the future. Some of us, myself included, started a lot later than we should have. But it is about growth and it is about self-sufficiency and, and financial security at the same time, we've all been in a point in our life where there is no financial security, that it is precarious at best. And you hope that it's when you're younger, but it isn't always that way. These two statistics to me are terrifying because I look at Arizona. I look at the growth we are seeing, the cranes that are going up. I, I see uh, and it looks like uh, it is and it is. It's a very good thing. But this statistic about from this poll, this is I got these two stories from CNBC. Fifty eight percent of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. Now, that is incredible because I would say that that also has a pretty broad income level, that some of this may be a little bit self-induced, where when you start making more money, you just up your lifestyle. That's probably part of it. But another part of it is those wage increases that we were seeing over the last few years have now been far exceeded by inflation. And more and more people are finding out we're living paycheck to paycheck. Seventy percent are feeling financially stressed. Seven in ten of us listening right now or in this building where I am, seven in ten are feeling financially stressed. Those are staggering statistics because what ends up happening, and this is just my getting older, if you don't rectify that, then your life – everybody has kind of a lifespan of of, uh, work. You know, uh, when I was in construction, I was a good electrician. I really was. I was not a very good businessman, but I was a very good electrician. My days of going on job sites and carrying ladders and bundles of conduit and pulling wire are probably over. I don't know that anybody is going to hire me knowing that I'm going to go out there and do the bang up job in an efficient, time, timely fashion that I did when I was in my 20s and 30s and maybe even in my 40s. So I understand that my time on job site hands on if I had to go back to work. I'm limited because I'm probably as much as my head is in the game, my body probably isn't able to do those things again. My days of working out in the Arizona sun and on roofs and in buildings without air conditioning are over. 
I complain walking from this building to my car. I have auto start. I get the AC going or the heat going in my vehicle. I like climate control. So as you get older, you have to make the money that you're going to live on because as you get older, for most people, unless you're very unique, there is a lifespan. You know, professional athletes, it's a much earlier age, but hopefully, and we've seen it happen so many times that it isn't the case, that professional athletes believe that 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 faucet is never going to be turned off. And when they're making really good money, what's the lifespan of a running back in the NFL about five seasons? So they think, you know, you're making three, four, five, whatever million dollars a year it is, and you live like it's never going to end. And when it does, it does. And there have been some very famous stories. If those of you are 80s kids like I am, we all remember the 85 Bears. We remember William Refrigerator Perry. It was very well documented with physical ailments and bad money management. Here was a guy who was a legitimate household name in the 1980s and a superstar in the NFL that was living out of his car for a while, if I'm not wrong, but he was almost destitute. He had spent all of his money or it was taken from him. Um, So when you hear statistics like this, it is worrisome. How do we get back? Because the hard part is we all understand there's good and bad in everything. The silver lining is when it's self-induced, you have no one to blame but yourself. But the silver lining is you are also the one that can reverse that. If you're someone that spends too much money or makes too little, you can fix that. You can get a certificate and go into a different um, business where you can be skilled labor and make money in a different profession. You can rein in your spending, pay off your credit cards, learn your lesson. I know I'm starting to sound like Dave Ramsey, but you know you um, you can do those things. In an economy like we're in right now where things are completely out of your control, inflation at online grocery stores up 10%. Now, the good news with inflation is that it seems to be leveling off. It's only up a tenth of a percent, 5% year over year. Still well above what we want, but it seems to be slowing. But in the key factors of inflation like food, it's still extremely high. Gas prices continue to rise. These are the necessities that most people cannot live without. So what is it that we can do? And the answer is, I don't know. I, I, that sounds like a really trite, sarcastic answer. It's not. We have got to muddle through. We have got to be um, learn our lessons, um, and many of us do the hard way. When you do something and you pay a price for it, you learn not to do it again. One of my mentors, I would say, is a guy that owns a framing and drywall company. He is a brilliant businessman, but he's just a good guy. And he was very candid with me when I was going through my bad downturn in my business about what he said were mistakes he made. But he was able to recover from those mistakes. And when he recovered from those mistakes, I'm talking about business mistakes, he put money away and he set money aside and he is financially secure. Many people are going to be able to learn that lesson and hopefully recover from it. And we'll see as time goes on. There is an interesting thing going on. It is Arizona Christian University versus Washington Elementary School District in court about a contract. I'm going to refresh your memory about why this is important. And it's all coming up here in just a couple of moments. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for 
for being here this morning. I appreciate you spending some time with us. Nothing like job security by insulting your boss for the first time you see him in the morning. Um, uh, appreciate you spending some time with the show. Uh, there is an ongoing battle between uh, Washington Elementary School District and Arizona Christian University, and I find it hilarious. And let me explain why I can see the humor in this. It's outraging, but I think it's also uh, ironically funny. Arizona Christian University has been sending its uh, education students into the classroom at the Washington Elementary School District for about five years without incident, without incident. Someone on the board at the Washington Elementary School District found out that people that go to school at Arizona Christian University sign a piece of paper saying that they believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. So they believe in the traditional family. Now, I want to make a note of something. No student from ACU or staff member from ACU has never injected their opinion in the classroom, which is not what happens with teachers on the opposite side of this issue. Nor has there been a complaint against anybody from ACU, number one. Number two, one of the things that the state of Arizona is facing that is so bad is a teacher shortage. It is so bad that one of the first things our governor did when she took office was start a task force on teacher retention. So far, are you with me? So the Washington Elementary School District, because they believe that they have some kind of a difference of opinion and philosophy with the philosophy of the college when there's been no issue – Decided they're not going to allow these teachers back in the classroom to influence your elementary school children with their horrible beliefs. Now, it's never happened. They haven't espoused their beliefs. The teachers on the other side of this do, by the way. Teachers on the other side of this make sure that their feelings about marriage that are not traditional are espoused in the classroom. That's welcome, but not this opposing opinion. But it's never happened. They never done it. There's never been a complaint. Marriage and sexuality has never come up with these college students and elementary school students. It hasn't happened. But just in case, to make a statement, they've ended the contract. What I find hilarious about this is it is Arizona Christian University in this instance that is being seen as close-minded, horrible people. In the minds of people that agree with Washington Elementary School District, isn't it fascinating that for all of the fire and brimstone reputation you want to lay on Arizona Christian University, they didn't go to the Washington School District and say, you know what, we don't agree with your stance on marriage, so we're pulling our students out of your school district. They didn't turn those backs on those children. They didn't walk out of those classrooms. They didn't thumb their nose at the belief systems of the Washington Elementary School District. They went in to be teachers. It's the open-minded, coexist, love-everybody attitude of Washington Elementary School District that kicked out the Christians. Let's just set the table for what it really is. And no one's outraged. Where are people out there? That are that don't agree with ACU with their stance on on marriage, saying they never did anything. They believe this and they're entitled to their belief, but they've never brought it into the classroom. Whereas you, the teachers in that district, bring that stuff into an elementary school classroom all the time.
Here's the problem I have with this, and I just was talking to somebody about this and saw this yesterday, and it's a great reminder. For everybody out there, um, what is it? Are they Gen Z now? Is that the is that the younger generation now? Is it Gen Z? So this generation, and this happens on college campuses all the time. People believe that they are fighting the fight for the very first time. Your high school kids, your middle school kids going through college. Do you remember when you were a kid and you found out about a guy named Nostradamus and you thought you had just found the key to the future? Not realizing that your parents and grandparents had been reading about that guy when they were in high school. It's almost like a rite of passage. We know that the fights and all the protests that go on on college campuses, college kids believe they're fighting the good fight for the first time. Go dig through your parents' attic and look at the T-shirts that they were wearing in college. It is the same fight. And this fight is no different. For every kid out there that thinks, was it um, Harry, Julia, was it, was it, uh, who was the guy that wore the dress? Was it Harry Styles? Yeah, Harry Styles. Okay, I just wanted to make sure because my pop culture skills are not exactly what they should be. Was there a problem? With no, it? no, no. I, but here's my issue. The people that believe, and I'm not insulting you personally, but the young people that believe that this was so brave and so groundbreaking, I want you to Google something. I want you to Google David Bowie. From the 1970s. Google David Bowie and what he was doing. How about Freddie Mercury from the outrageously hit generating band Queen? Freddie Mercury, famously gay. How about Elton John, who is still loved by everybody? Go look up Boy George. You know who Boy George is? No. Boy George and the Culture Club. And I'm not directing this at you. Go Google Boy George and the Culture Club. Okay. I know who Freddie Mercury is. Okay. That's a good thing you know who Freddie Mercury is. Do you know who David Bowie is? Of course. Thank you. You're welcome. My point is to the younger generation that thinks that these artists are being brave and groundbreaking, you got to wake up. Someday you're going to laugh at yourself. For everybody out there that thought Marilyn Manson was something, I got a local guy for you named Alice Cooper that can tell you who started that whole thing. You're not breaking new ground. This is just a different fight, and it's being fought a different way. Go Google some of these people. Rob Halford, one of my favorite bands as a kid, heavy metal band Judas Priest. Rob Halford lives right here in the valley. And is the lead singer and the machine that I should say he was the engine that drove the machine and drives the machine of Judas Priest. Rob Halford is gay. Nobody cared. They did their thing. And we loved them. We loved Queen. We loved all of these. We 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 love um, David Bowie. We love his music. Nobody cares. Boy George was one of the famous guys. Um, George Michael, another very famous from the band Wham, and then his solo career. You're not breaking new ground. It's being fought a different way. You and so this Arizona Christian thing in schools is utter hypocrisy. And anybody that doesn't see it as utter hypocrisy has got their head buried in the sand. It wasn't those close-minded Christians that refused to teach in a district that didn't believe in traditional marriage. It was the open-minded people in the Washington School District that ostracized the Christians. Let's get it in context. And I hope in this court battle it's exposed that way. And I hope somebody will talk about it that way because that's what happened. Coming up, we're going to talk about the Louisville shooter. The family now saying that this man was suffering from mental health challenges. What does that mean? We'll talk about that coming up in a moment. 
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, the Phoenix Suns are back in the playoffs, and we're giving you a chance to score the hottest ticket in town. Yes, of course, it's Suns playoff tickets. Text the word TICKET to 411-923. Register and listen for your name during the 11 a.m. and the 4 p.m. hours for your chance to qualify for Game 1 tickets to see the Suns take on the Clippers. Once again, text the word TICKET to 411-923. So, the Louisville shooter... His name is Connor Sturgeon. Um, His family says he suffered mental health challenges. So I want to have this conversation starting here. I kind of ranted yesterday because I was frustrated about this topic. Um, And everybody handles things differently. So I guess I shouldn't go down the road of right or wrong. It just isn't my thing. Um, The bodies weren't even at the morgue. Families hadn't even been notified. We weren't even told who the victims were or the shooter when all of a sudden the White House and other anti-gun groups were out there screaming about gun control. And we started screaming gun control, gun control. And that continues to be the conversation. And I even said then, let's wait and find out if we can find out something about a motive here. So now, why aren't we talking about this? And I said this yesterday to all of you out there that are gun control advocates, and you believe the answer to this problem is gun control. Why aren't you looking in any other place? The reason is all you care about is getting rid of guns. You don't care if it solves the problem or it doesn't. You don't like guns. You believe they themselves are the problem, an inanimate object. No matter how much data is thrown your way, no matter how much common sense is thrown your way, that it was the exact same kind of gun in the hands of a good person that stopped the bad person from killing other people. So how could it be gun in the hand of a good guy? Good. Gun in the hand of a bad guy? Bad. But in each case, guns are bad. School shootings. We don't want to put cops on campus because more guns means more death. At the same time, these are the very same members of Congress that are guarded by the Capitol Police with guns. After January 6th, Nancy Pelosi surrounded the United States Capitol with a fence and called in 20-something thousand National Guard troops with loaded firearms. Yes, the military version of an AR-15, which is an M-16, probably. It could have been another firearm, but other firearms. By the way, those were fully automatic, whereas the civilian version is not. It's semi-automatic. Um So are we now going to start looking at the possibility? Because it is still a constitutional conversation. Second Amendment, right? And we also got to talk about people's mental health because there are dangers here. Because we have worked very hard in our society to destigmatize mental health. And I think it's a good thing. We are encouraging people, especially people that are in the first responder community, that You are not showing a sign of weakness by saying, I need some mental health care. We, you know, for years it was my father was one of the people never went to a doctor, never went to a doctor until he was literally on death's doorstep and was diagnosed with a terminal illness that had been festering for about 10 years. That's what his doctor told me. That was the way things were. Toughen up. Don't go to doctors. Rub, rub, put some dirt on it. Men don't cry. 
We have broken through a lot of that by telling people mental health care is necessary. And a mental illness is the same as a physical illness. It can be everything from a common cold to a terminal illness and everything in between. Is there a danger here that now people will be afraid of reporting mental illness because they were afraid they will lose their Second Amendment rights or a lot of these other rights? But when does it cross the line where that person needs to have those guns removed from them? That's a constitutional conversation, but that's a constitutional conversation that's going to get us a lot closer to a solution than talking about just wiping out Second Amendment rights. HIPAA laws, your right to health care privacy, mental health care privacy. Is it time to start broadening your horizons on what you think might be a solution? Here we are with another shooter. Everybody's knee-jerk reaction was it's the problem with guns. And now this guy's family is saying, hang on a minute. He was dealing with some mental health challenges here. Let's go down the list of Jared Loeffner and the Virginia Tech shooter and and uh, Holmes, the shooter in, in Denver. And uh, go down the list of these people that were showing signs of dangerous mental illness that was known to family members and people around them. The shooter at Marjorie Don- Stoneman Douglas High School. Uh, shooters having the nickname school shooter and then becoming a school shooter. Maybe it's time to start exploring that. Instead of just saying to people that if we got rid of the guns, this problem would go away. It wouldn't. People with the serious mental problems that cause them to be violent and whether it's um, danger to themselves or other people will find other means. We have to address this in a more comprehensive way. And I just hope people will start. We'll see if they do. Coming up just after 10 o'clock, the Ethics Committee in the Arizona House of Representatives has uh, come down with a decision about Representative Liz Harris. If you don't remember the story, she's the one that allowed testimony at a joint hearing that made outlandish accusations. We'll talk about that next.